listening to Divorce Happy Hour with your hosts, Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. We're two divorce lawyers from New Jersey here to talk about love, life, and divorce. Whether you're thinking about divorce, going through one now, or been there, done that, or if you're just a divorce voyeur, this show is for you. We'll talk about legal topics and not-so-legal topics like real life, as well as share our own war stories as divorce lawyers. We'll interview experts and real-life people to talk about their personal experiences. Nothing is off-limits. Since this is happy hour, and it's always 5 o'clock somewhere, we're going to enjoy a few cocktails during the show. Who are we? Well, we're divorce lawyers and the owners of New Jersey Divorce Solutions a law firm that focuses exclusively on divorce and family law in New Jersey. We've been practicing family law for 15 years. To learn more about our law firm, you can find us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. You can also find us on social media. Just search for NJ Divorce Solutions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let us know if you like the show or hate the show and what topics you'd like to see us cover in the future. Please keep in mind this show is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to take the place of legal advice. If you need legal advice, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-384-1550 and mention this program for a free consultation. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. What we hope will be an interesting and entertaining and enlightening hour about all things divorce. So did you watch the Super Bowl last weekend? I did, mostly for the commercials and Tommy Brady. Tommy Brady? Tommy Brady. We're on first name terms. So were the commercials other. good? Eh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think they're as good as they used to be. I yeah, I was really disappointed. My favorite was the John Legend Pampers commercial. I I've, thought that was really cute. I've heard that a lot. And, you know, he's John Legend. He's great. I love him. So Well, we actually found ourselves fast-forwarding through the game to watch the commercials because the game was such a snoozer. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of lucky I know what a football looks like. I don't really watch sports, so. <laughs> I think you told me, I, I know enough to know that the Patriots are probably going to win. Yes, well, yeah, I knew enough that, you know, I know it was to- it was going to be Tom Brady's sixth win, and he was going to break a record, and so, and it just seems like most of the time he wins, so I was just like, he's going to win. Plus, you know, I kind of felt like just enough knowing, having watched the news that the Rams weren't really supposed to win, so <laughs> it was kind of like they stole it. I know I'm not the only one who thinks that, yeah. but, and this is not based upon, you know, any personal feelings I have about sports. It was just something I observed over the course of the season. Well, Tom Brady's been married a long time. Has he? Yeah. He's been with Giselle a while. Yeah, they're they're a little happy couple. Well, that's how it appears, right? Yeah, well, at least it appears to all of us. So, speaking of an unhappy couple, what do you think about the whole Jeff Bezos divorce? Well, the only thing that's really bothering me about what I'm hearing in the news is that there seems to be this perception in the news that Poor little Jeff Bezos. He's got it so hard. He's going to have to give up half of his $137 billion fortune to that greedy wench. I wish we had like a baby crying right Yeah, now. I wish we did too. I mean, of course, you know, no one's actually said that, but that is what I hear when I read these headlines and, I, and I'm listening to different programs and everyone seems to feel so sorry for Jeff Bezos. I really don't understand it. For a number of reasons, but the one that really gets me the most is he 
started Amazon, to the best of my knowledge, after they were already married. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know how long they had been married already, but... She, you know, why shouldn't she get half? That's my question is why shouldn't she? I don't know how involved she was with the business or how instrumental she was in the success of Amazon, but they were married. I presume that, you know, he was working a business that at first wasn't making a lot of money. Someone was earning the money. I really would actually like to know more about that. So maybe that's something we can research a little bit, but I... I just I don't understand why anybody would be offended by the wife getting half or, you know, getting some portion. I don't necessarily care if it's half, but why shouldn't she share in the good fortune of the business? She would have been stuck with it if it failed. I mean, he was operating out of the garage at some point, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think they moved from New York in like 1999, I think I read. And Amazon was a startup. It was nothing. He built it from scratch, which means she was with him that whole time while he was building it from scratch, probably bringing him sandwiches, making him dinner. Massaging his feet. Yeah. I don't know. And who knows? She probably was doing stuff too. But I was struck by this article in Forbes that is titled, How Will the Bezos Divorce Impact Amazon? And really, it seems like the entire business community is just concerned with how is it going to impact this business if she gets any kind of control over that stock? As though she is incapable of exercising her own judgment on making decisions for this company. So a lot of these scenarios that they're talking about in terms of giving her half the fortune revolve around how can we give her the money but not give her any of the decision-making ability over the company? Well, again, I also think that that hinges on what she was doing before. It assumes that she was doing absolutely nothing. And that may be true. I don't know. But it, it does assume that she was doing nothing. And if she wasn't doing nothing and she was involved in the business, then I'm not sure why that would be such a concern. Perhaps if the relationship is not amicable at this point, that would be the concern is how can you run a business when you're at each other's throats? But again, I don't know enough about the way that they are conducting themselves through this divorce to know if that's a realistic problem. I've seen many couples continue to work together in a business. It always seems a little odd, right? Because we just were programmed to believe that if you get a divorce, you have to hate each other. But that's not always true. And sometimes people can run a business together. Well, and I think one thing that separates a lot of the super wealthy from a lot of just your average middle class couple going through a divorce is that the super wealthy like privacy. They spend a lot of money to keep them to keep their lives private. And you don't hear a lot of the details about super wealthy divorces. And I think no. that's I think that that is sort of an indication of probably the fact that we're not going to hear a lot of the details about this divorce. Um, my suspicion is that we're only going to hear about the end result without any of the stuff in and between. And probably n- not many of the details will we know no. of the end result because that they'll probably have confidentiality provisions. And maybe to the extent that there's information that will have to be public in terms of stock ownership, that we'll, we'll be able to find out. Right. But another thing, too, I think the reason we don't see a lot or hear a lot about these high net worth cases or maybe big celebrities is because they have a tendency to get their cases done very quickly. So 
that is a bit different than what the normal garden variety divorce that we see. You know, the people that aren't the billionaires, like the normal Joe Schmoes, mm-hmm. they don't have as much money to go around. So every dollar is actually much more important to them. It's actually easier to settle a case where there is a lot of money and a lot of assets than it is to settle the cases where there's nothing. And that seems counterintuitive, but the reason for that generally is because the people that don't have much, they have to fight so hard just to keep as much as they can. And it's more important to them. They're impacted much more greatly than they would be if you know there was a lot of money. Like, I mean, how much do you need, right, of $137 yeah, billion? I mean, dollars? I, I mean, at some point it's – listen, this divorce – is going to be unlike anything else that we'll ever talk about on this show because there's there's more money. I mean, these people have more money than probably 90% of the countries on the planet. Um, but all that's going to happen here is they're going to split this stock up. They both have an incentive to not do anything crazy because it'll drive down stock yeah. prices. So they're going to they're going to figure it out, but it's just really interesting because I think your point that you made a minute ago is the point that resonates with me, which is I still don't understand how he's always been the richest man on earth when the two of them are married. I mean, it's always been amazing to me. And you'll see the list, you know, like the list that come out of the, like the top 10. It's like, are these people married? Because if you're married and you don't have a and there's not something protecting your money, um, it's really the couple's money. It's not one person's yeah. money. And if, if anybody listening to this disagrees, and, and if you're the breadwinner <laughs> and you believe this, I would invite you to have your spouse, I'm going to generalize the wife, but whoever it is, whatever the situation, your spouse, leave for 30 days and be completely uninvolved in your household. And that means that they leave the children behind too. And then come back in 30 days and tell me how that went. Because, and not change anything. That means you don't get a nanny. You don't hire somebody to do all the stuff that the wife was doing. And then come and talk to me because I want to hear how that goes. Yeah. Why don't you tweet us if this, if you want to take this little challenge that Christina just made? <laughs> you can tweet us at NJFamLaw. Let yeah. us know. And um, after you're done with your 30 days, we'll have you on the radio and we'll talk all about it. <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> you but want you have to. to keep it clean. No cursing. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want this to come across as I'm, you know, I hate men and I'm pro-wife and pro-female and all that because I'm sure that's what I'll hear. But that's really not what motivates this opinion it it truly is because i think that very often whether it's the man or the woman because we've seen stay-at-home dads and they suffer the same discrimination that you know they're not doing anything there's sometimes this accusation that well you didn't do anything you just stayed home all day and that's easy and you know i'm the one who went to work every day and i made the money and it's just simply not accurate Right. It's just not. No, and we we see more and more um, female breadwinners come yes, into our office, definitely. which is kind of interesting because there's a misconception that only men pay alimony. Yeah. And what's interesting is when it's on the other shoe, it's hard for it's hard for a lot of women to stomach because there's been you know, there's been all this history of men being the ones to pay alimony and get off your butt. Go get a job. Yeah. And it's really interesting now to see the dynamic changing you know, with this whole thing. But um, Christina is definitely not anti-male. <laughs> I'm not 
I'm pro male. So I'm pro male. You know, um, and I'm not, and I'm certainly not anti woman, but I have this news article here that I just want to point out because I just thought the whole thing was funny. Um, so this uh, man told his wife that he wanted a divorce, and she followed him outside. She thought he was going to slash her tires for some reason, and she decided to take a kitchen knife and kill him. <laughs> now, she, so, did she miss the tire? <laughs> apparently she missed the tire, but what I thought was really interesting about this, and this is just an indication that you can't ever judge people by what they do in life, the couple worked at a nearby church. Oh, so I'm always a little leery of the churchgoers, the ones that are, you know, really hardcore. I, I just I don't even know. So um, I guess the bottom line here is if you tell your spouse you want a divorce and they don't kill you, you're making out better than some people. Yes. In the world. Look at the bright side. Definitely look at the bright side. Well, um, you're looking a light on wine tonight, Christina. And just for our audience, we're drinking Naomi, which is one of our favorite wines. And we encourage you, when listening to this program, to pour yourself a glass. I call it the Pinot that drinks like a cab. (laughs) Naomi, if you're listening, I am available for engagements. All right. So um, we we can start a second round of drinks and get right into um, our topic of the day, which is the beginning. Yes, the beginning. Not the beginning of the marriage. We could get into that later, but (laughs) the beginning, the beginning of the end, I guess. Yeah, it's the beginning of the end. But you know, when the lawyers get involved, every story, whether it's good or bad, has a beginning. A and beginning so, and an end. So sometimes yeah. the beginning is just the end of the end. <laughs> <laughs> the, not the end, just the end of the beginning. Yes, I don't know. Maybe it's the wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the first thing that always happens is a consultation with an attorney whenever you want to start this process. So, Christina, what do you find people people typically want to know at the consultation? Well, I find that you can't assume that every person who walks in the door is in the same place. So I could have six consultations in one day, and every single situation could be completely different. I, I think it really depends where the person is psychologically. Some people, I call them thinkers, and deciders. So the thinkers are the ones that are not happy. They're thinking about a divorce. They've probably been thinking about it for a very long time. Some of them have been thinking about it for a few months. Some of them literally have been thinking about it for 10 years. And there really is that wide range. And some of them found out their husband was cheating on them and ran into your office an hour later. Yes. I mean, there's there's a whole slew of different scenarios that I've seen. So... I really have to assess where is this person when when I sit down with them. And usually I will let them start out and set the tone for the conversation because you can tell what they're most interested in by what they talk about initially. Some people, feel, a lot of people actually, feel the need to go into all of the reasons why they're unhappy and you know what their spouse has done. It's almost like, just thinking out loud, you know, almost like trying to justify it to themselves and get clarity, do you, which do you, is fine. Do you feel like they want to know if the reasons they're getting divorced are going to are, are going to help them win their case? If if they are like s- sort of caught up in the evidence of, oh, I found my husband cheating. Here are the text messages. Do you find people 
go through that at a consultation? I think some people do, but I think more often what it's about is they're looking for some sort of confirmation that they're doing the right thing. I've I've had so many people just say, well, do you think I should get a divorce? And I just, I always say the same thing. I truly don't feel that that's something that I can tell you. That it, it It's really just not. You need to decide, do I want to be in this relationship or don't I? And I will encourage people to go to counseling if they're not doing it already. Because once you get started, it's really hard to unring that bell. If you're going to get a divorce, you should be certain that that's what you really want to do. I've had a lot of people recently, women, I'm not sure if that was just a coincidence, um, come in and they really didn't want to get a divorce. They just wanted to send some sort of message to the spouse. Really? And they even said that to me. Like, can't you just send him a letter and tell him to just you know, be nicer to me. I mean, those weren't her exact words, but it was basically something to that effect. It's kind and of an expensive message. Yes, but she was so desperate to to just make the husband see, you know, look at what you're doing to us. You know, you're destroying this marriage and I'm going to leave you, um, which, and, and I can understand that. So I do have compassion for that. But I think if that's where your mindset is, the divorce lawyer's office is probably not the place that you need to be. You probably should be in therapy. I encourage marriage counseling. My personal opinion is that people wait too long to go to marriage counseling. So if you are out there and you're having some marital difficulties, even if they seem minor to you, I strongly encourage counseling. And if your spouse refuses to go to counseling, then you go to counseling yourself I've spoken to counselors about that, and that's always their recommendation is if your spouse won't go, then at least you go so that you can flesh these things out with a counselor. Well, yeah, because most of the time people getting divorced, it's a communication breakdown. People have stopped. You know, after 20 years, it's like you stopped learning how to communicate because maybe you had kids and, you know, all of your conversations revolved around your kids. And now they're off in college. Now you're staring at your spouse and you don't know what the heck to talk to them about anymore. Yeah, there's that. But I mean, the communication absolutely is essential. But I think what's even more important is having empathy for the other spouse. So often, even not with our spouses, you know, all of us, if we're having an argument with someone or a debate. We're we're not really thinking about what is that other person's position, what are their feelings, you know, why do they think that, why do they feel that way. We're too busy thinking about what we think, how we feel, and how we're going to support that with evidence that we're not really thinking about, well, where is this other person coming from? So I think that's sometimes what the counselor can teach people to do, is to communicate with each other. But also to have more empathy, because if you can understand where the other person is coming from, I think sometimes that bridges that gap. But by the time they come to a consultation, I mean, the only thing that you can really tell them as an attorney is that's not really my job to determine whether or not you should get divorced. Yeah, I mean, I I truly do. It's not because I don't want to. I mean, you would think as a divorce, I'm going to say, yes, you should get a divorce. And, you know, here, let's sign up here. I mean, no, we don't do that. We I'm not saying there aren't attorneys who do that, but we don't do that. Um, I think that once you come in, you should get some information about if I do decide to move forward with a divorce, what does it look like? 
you know, how do we start out? You know, I think a lot of people just don't understand what that process is. You know, do I have to move out of the house? Or we stuck living together during this process? Um, and the answer to that is most of the time, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, our, our, and then there could be, have been threats made. A lot of women come into my, and men too, actually come in and say, well, my spouse told me that they're going to, you know, take me for every dime. I love that expression. It, anybody who's heard that, you should just completely ignore it because that's never going to happen. And, or they threaten, I'm going to take the kids from you. And, you know, most likely that's not going to happen either, unless you're some raging alcoholic or you have some very serious mental problems. And I don't mean that someone's narcissistic or bipolar because we have a lot of those. But there has to be something quite egregious that has occurred for one person to have custody. So those are really just idle threats. But people people get scared by those things. Oh, they absolutely do. I mean... Just keep in mind, the consultation isn't just for you. It's also for the attorney. The attorney is trying to determine, you know, do you want to get started? What are your goals? And they're trying to also assess what your expectations are. Because, you know, some attorneys will sell you anything. You know, Uh they'll say, okay, you make, you know, you make $500,000 a year and your wife's a stay-at-home wife. You're never going to have to pay alimony. But that's just setting setting the whole process up for failure. I mean, really, the attorney is trying to see, okay, where do you want to go? And am I the right person for you? And do you think... Do you think we can work together? Because yeah. really, it's working together. You're Absolutely. working together to your, towards your goal. But I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about a minute ago is, if I mean, really, you have to decide it's time for you to get divorced. And I think Christina's right. Marriage counselor, therapist, you know, those are people that you should talk to, not a divorce attorney, because, you know, I, like it or not, we're in the business of helping people resolve their marriage. That's our business. That's, you know, so once you come to us, people look at us all the time. Uh, Christine and I have tried to go to certain uh, festivals and whatnot that are family. Food truck festivals. Yeah. They don't want us. Yeah, because <laughs> because there's this perception us. we're trying to break up families. Yeah. And, and that's not what we're doing. I mean, unfortunately, this happens. It's part of life. People get married. They separate. Um, and we just, you know, at the consultation, it's really just about. You know, trying to help the person see the forest from the trees and try to understand what this really involves. But it's not really about, should I get divorced? The only time I'll tell someone I think you should leave the marriage is if they're really in a domestic violence situation. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh, absolutely. So after you have a consultation. Well, wait a second. Let me, what do you do? I mean, do you, how do you start out your consultations? Well, I really... First of all, I think letting the client, potential client, talk and tell you their story is very important. Yes. Um, and I, I never want to feel like they're being rushed out of the building, so to speak. Um, everyone wants to tell their story. That's what they want to do. And as an attorney, even if you want to tell me the story about how you and your um, spouse have not had sex in 10 years or you know that you're, you're, you found your spouse cheating on you with somebody um, – Although those things are not going to be important for the divorce, I always find them important so I understand the dynamics of what we're going to be going through. Because those, to me, always symbolize a lot of emotional energy in a case. And emotional energy usually um, sort of manifests itself in people taking 
more extreme positions Mm -hmm. and really wanting to punish their spouse in any way they can or the fact that they can't really get over that hump. And I really, so I like to really get to the bottom of that for not for a long time, you know, like 10, 15 minutes, really try to get to the understanding of what's going on there and let the client tell me what's important to them. Yeah. You know, I don't like to lead people because if you lead people, they're, you're going to lead them as an attorney. You're going to lead them to alimony. You're going to lead them to custody. You're going to lead them to division of assets where if you just let someone tell you what's important, they may not say any of those things. They may tell you the only thing that's important to me is that I get to stay in the house so that my child can finish high school in the school that they're in. And if that's what's important to them, then you should you should talk to them about how can we achieve that goal. You know, I always think that attorneys try to make divorces out to be what they want it to be and not what the client wants them to be. Yeah. And like there's a script. Right. Exactly. There's a script. And, you know, we're just doing check marks down the list. You want this. You want this. You want this. And just because the law lets you have something doesn't mean you have to take it. And sometimes one thing's more important than something else. And quite frankly, at the end of the consultation, I want person leaving, even if they don't retain us, to feel like they were heard, um, that they got some benefit out of learning at least whether or not they could achieve the goals that they, they set well, up Well, I find for. that a lot of people come with the initial consultation, they don't even have any goals. They well, haven't even thought that far ahead. Some of them have. Yeah. But um, some people are looking for you as the lawyer to tell them what what am I you know what's my life going to look like what am I going to get what should I be asking for you know what do you think I should do I hear that a lot and oh absolutely of course there are certain parameters like if you want alimony and you're just simply not entitled to it then yes I have to tell you that but I always feel like it's not my role to do that I can have a, an open dialogue with you and help guide you but I think at the end of the day you need to get clear on what you want and then I can try to help you get there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that a lot of times, not to stereotype, but a lot of times the person that has more money or makes more money, mm-hmm. to me, when they have when they come in for a consultation, they tend to have a little bit more of a crystallized um, list of questions that are more specific to, you know, how much am I going to have to pay, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think so, too. Whereas the person that's in a more... Um, I don't want to say compromised position, but in an inferior position financially to the person making more money, they're a lot more scared. What's going to happen? Because they've been supported. Right. Yeah. And they're worried about where what's going to happen now. And I, Is he or she going to just leave the marriage and take all the money with them? What yeah. am I going to do now? And that's a completely legitimate concern. That won't happen in most cases. If you've had a stay-at-home mom or even a stay-at-home dad, there's most likely going to be some form of alimony. But those are legitimate concerns and legitimate questions at a consultation. And I think those are the people that can be taken advantage of the easiest by an attorney. Absolutely. And I think part of the reason for that, and you can tell me if you disagree, is because often the breadwinner is the one who may have been handling the finances. So sometimes the the one that's considered to be the, the dependent spouse or the supported spouse, sometimes they don't even know where the bank accounts are. I've had people come in and sometimes it's the man, sometimes it's the woman. They don't even know where the bank accounts are. They don't know how much their spouse makes. They've not seen a tax return. 
they don't really know much about the finances. So if you're talking to someone like that and they're in for initial consultation, do you ever give them any advice of what they should do, whether or not they retain you right off the bat, particularly if their spouse doesn't know that a divorce is coming? I do. I tell them to use their time during the day to start snooping around and gathering papers that there have to be bank account records or tax returns and you know mortgage statements anything that has to do with their finances at all their their spouses pay stubs anything that has to do with their finances they should start gathering those most likely they're in the house somewhere um i guess a lot of people are paperless now yeah I tell them to do whatever you need to do to start looking through things. If there's file cabinets in the house, sometimes people just have them in boxes in the attic. Mm -hmm. Make it your business to start looking for those things. Be more – notice what's coming in the mail. Are there bank statements coming in the mail? You know, I I tell them maybe you could open those. You know, you have to make it your business to start being – intelligent about your finances because at some point soon you are not going to be on the same team anymore. And once the other party knows that you want a divorce, most of the time they don't seem to be very forthcoming with this information. And it really just makes the whole process take longer. No, I agree. And I think, I think that whole concept of not being on the same team, I really like uh, as a, as a point to people, because I mean, we have clients right now who you know, um, I'll, husbands are sweet-talking, you know, their wives. Oh, you don't need that. You don't need that. Don't worry. I'll take care but of sweetie, you. sweetie, I'm not going to get a bonus. Yeah, I'm, not I'm really be, not. Yeah. I'm not going to have any overtime this year. You know I'm me, really I've, not. You know me. I've always told you everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, and you can't, you're right, Christina. You're right. You're not on the same team anymore. We live by the motto, trust but verify. Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not calling you a liar, but... Your claims can be supported by documentation. <laughs> and once I get it, we can stop talking about it. <laughs> right? Are you laughing? But you agree, right? right? No, I agree. I, I completely <laughs> agree. I completely agree. Um, it, it, but it's, it's, really un, it's really unfortunate um, that that power differential continues into the divorce. And that's where you really need an attorney that's going to be a fierce advocate for you. And then you need to trust your attorney to advocate for you. I'm not saying to, you know, burn the barn down, so to speak. Yeah. But to actually advocate for you because you've been – a lot of times you've been in a situation where you don't know anything about your finances. There's probably bank accounts you've never heard of before. And now you're finding all this stuff out and you're just being told, oh, trust me. Yeah. And, you know, when when you have people who have been married for many, many years and that's always been the dynamic – it's so hard to change that. It's hard for a spouse who's always just relied on the other one to do all of that. It's hard for them to just assert themselves all of a sudden. If you have a hard time doing that, let your attorney do it. Yeah. That's what you're paying them for. Yeah. I mean, the whole purpose of having an attorney is to you know, have a person who understands the law. But also, and I, I always think of attorneys as emotional barriers. You're having somebody who is not part of the emotional part of the divorce. They can think objectively about how to get you from point A to point B. So let them. And something to consider as well is that a divorce truly, it's a business transaction. That's what it is. It might not feel that way for the parties involved because it is so emotional, but it really is a business transaction. And if you can 
allow yourself to view it and treat it as a business transaction. Even if you have to have your attorney do all, you know, the business transacting, you will be better protected in the long run than you would have otherwise. So what do you tell people when they ask you how long it's going to take? I I tell people that generally in most cases, a divorce takes a year because that is about the average. But it really depends on how amicable it is. If both parties are highly emotional in the beginning, or even if one party is highly emotional in the beginning, it takes so long to get past that. I think once you get past a lot of that emotion and you can actually deal with the business of the divorce then it can get done faster. So the sooner you're able to do that, the sooner it gets done. Some people can get divorced in much, in much less than a year, but it's definitely not the high conflict cases. Those can go on for years. Years and years. We just finished a case recently that went on for four years. I mean, it, it can go on for years and years. Yeah, and I think they're still going at it. They're still it's just going that at we're it. not involved anymore. Yeah, but that's that happens more than more than you would think. Maybe not four years, but definitely multi-year It happens, divorces. yeah. And that's such a long time. I mean, so it much is. can change in your life in four years. You know what? I mean, four years, uh, your child could go from freshman in high school to in college. Well, that, that's happened to me in a few cases. I was like, if we just wait long enough, the second kid will be emancipated too. The other thing, too, I want to point out is that when you go to a consultation, like John already mentioned, you are looking to see if you're a good fit for each other. I think one thing to consider that I think about at the consultation is, is this a person that wants a scorched earth divorce, meaning very high conflict? They're only interested in being vindictive. They want to file motions and subpoenas and they just want they they are really out for blood. Those cases drag on for years and they cost tens of thousands of dollars. So if that's what you're thinking that you want, there is no way to do that on the cheap. That costs money. So if you want to pay for that, then great. But you should understand that if that's what you're looking for, you're going to pay a lot of money for that. And some some attorneys aren't suited for that. There, but then there are some attorneys that they love that. Like that's what they're about and they don't even know how to settle a case. Mm-hmm. And then there's everything in between. So I think you do get a sense of what kind of attorney you have. If they're, if they have not said one word about resolution or mediation or settling, if those words don't ever come out of their mouth and they're talking about trial and motions and litigation and all mm-hmm. of that, you, that's a pretty good indication that that attorney is litigious. And if that's what you want, then that's great. You're probably a good fit. But if it's not what you want, you should be a little concerned about how that conversation is going. Mm-hmm. And and don't ever misunderstand that just because you have a scorched earth attorney means you're going to get a better outcome. No, most definitely not. In fact, I think most attorneys, good attorneys who practice family law exclusively, they can tell you pretty much at the first or second meeting, they can give you a good range of where your case is going to come out. If there's going to be alimony, a general range of what it will be, how the assets will be distributed. They might not be um, you know, just to the dollar, but they can give you a pretty accurate range. And I can tell you, I'd like to see a wager on this. What they tell you on day one will 
and what it ends up being, you know, a year later, it's probably pretty close. I think it's always pretty close. I mean, one of the problems that I always have is that the other party's attorney has usually given them such an unrealistic expectation of where the case is going to end up. And that's what really causes the problem. It does. If you have an experienced attorney on both sides um, and you don't have any complex issues, by complex, I mean custody or a complex financial situation like a business or hidden accounts or something like that, there's really no reason that you shouldn't be able to resolve it without ever getting a judge involved. There's absolutely really no reason. In fact, I, I think people are crazy to go to court at this point. And I don't know if I should be saying this on the radio, but I I feel that a lot of the judges that are on the bench now in the family court shouldn't be. They either don't want to. And I don't mean to say that all of them are like this. There are certainly some wonderful judges that are on the bench. We're not going to talk names because I don't think that would be appropriate. But some of the judges just they don't want to be in family. They or they've had no litigation experience at all, and they don't even know how to do a trial. You don't want that person making decisions about how your personal life is going to be, because that's it's very different being in family court and being in civil court, civil division, where you're just handling car accident cases. They're completely different. Yeah, I mean, being a judge and family part really requires. A lot of attention to detail and um, and empathy and, and compassion. Empathy. And really, it requires you to look at helping the parties reach a resolution. And what can I do to help help pushing it along? Yes. And most of the, most of the judges, unfortunately, um, look at people coming in and asking for their help as a nuisance. As yes. To, like, oh, why can't these people just do this? Why do I have to tell them what their parenting schedule should be? Right. And I mean, unfortunately, it's just part of the way that our court system is set up that when people come onto the bench, they go right into the family part in all most circumstances. Even if you have no experience ever trying a case, ever stepping into a courtroom or ever dealing with family law, you're still going to have to deal with um, family law cases. And you really one decision can really mess up an entire family. Absolutely. And a lot of the judges, some of them that have don't have any family law experience at all, you would never hire them to do your divorce. You never would because they don't do it. But yet that's the person on the bench who's supposed to make decisions about your life. I don't understand why there are so many people that are just dying to get their day in court. They really have an unrealistic expectation about what court is, what's going to happen there. I would tell you if you like Law and Order or The Good Wife or, you know, any of these shows, those are wonderful shows. I love to watch them. It doesn't really happen like that. Never. At all. Never. You know, your attorney doesn't have a private investigator who's going to sneak into the courtroom at the very last second while your attorney is making these these profound legal arguments. Always a constitutional issue yeah. that really never comes up in family law right. and hands the secret document over to the lawyer who saves the day. It It just doesn't happen. You know what? If that happened, being an attorney would be an exciting job. Yeah. All the time. But, you know, you're right. And... You know, uh, helping clients, potential clients, understand at the consultation how much they don't want to go to court is something that I always do and explain to them that we want to stay out of court as much as we can. You yeah. only go to court if it's absolutely necessary. Not to mention the fact that every day you spend in court, 
I always like to tell people is about seven to eight hours of billable time. Yeah, your you're attorney. just oftentimes you're just paying your attorney to just sit there and yeah. literally do nothing. Just sit there. I wait. mean, I guess if you love your attorney, you like to sit and talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> I guess it might work. I don't know about that. So when the consultation is done and the person has retained you, what do you normally do at that point? Do you have sort of um you know, a general philosophy about how you handle things going forward? Well, I'd like to see the I'd like the client to see that action's being taken immediately on uh, whatever it is, even if it's a divorce. Um, come up with some kind of game plan and make sure you communicate to them what the game plan is. It could be formal, you know, you send something via email saying, here's what we're gonna do. Or it might just be another another time they come into your office and they sit down with you and you go through what's going to happen. I mean, there's nothing worse than an attorney and a client not being on the same page of what's going to happen in their case. Absolutely. And I think the danger sometimes that we as attorneys fall into is that we've done this a million times. The client hasn't. They might have done it once or twice. <laughs> that does not make them an expert. But they don't <laughs> they don't know what's about to happen. You know, they don't know, okay, well what papers do we have to file and you know, is there something that is my spouse going to be alerted of this right away and you know, they just have a lot of questions about what should I be doing or not doing? How does this all work? I think sometimes attorneys just take for granted that we already know that. Mm -hmm. It might seem like some of it's just con common sense, but I think the uh, the clients um, are going through a difficult time. It can be scary, and they're sort of in the dark. They don't know how do we proceed at this point. So what you just said, I like to – and I've been paying more attention to this recently. I try to be more mindful of that, that I may have done this a million times, but they have not. Yeah, try to put yourself in the client's shoes. I mean, what, what would you need to hear as the client to feel comfortable with the process? Yeah. Some, some clients will just say, you're the attorney, do whatever. And they, they're very hands-off. But unfortunately, as you go along in the case, even if a client wants to be hands-off, a lot of attorneys shouldn't let them be hands-off. <laughs> Because at some point in the case, that might come back to bite everyone in the rear end. Because if this, particularly if the attorney is doing something that costs a lot of money or creates more animosity with the other party, and that client starts to get upset, it's much easier to do all those things if at the very beginning you told the client, here's what we're going to do. Are you okay with this? Here's what might happen if we do uh, we go through door number one. Here's what might happen if we go through door number two. Yeah. And it, you know decide. what? It's it's the client's life. It it's not life. my life. I don't even feel like I have the right to make those decisions. You know, I have to remind myself of that sometimes because I can't tell you how many nights I have not slept all night sitting up thinking about one of my clients, which might sound odd. But, you know, unfortunately, as an attorney, we sometimes internalize our clients' lives. Yeah, well, but, but it's the human condition, right? It's it the is. human effect. We're all human beings. And I think to some degree, attorneys should maintain a healthy distance because you can't really do your job effectively if you don't. But at the same time, it's hard. We, you know, it's emotional for us, too, because we want to get a good result for our clients. We want them to be okay. We want them to feel like we made a meaningful contribution to this process for them and, well, and that they can go on to have a happy, productive oh, life. Absolutely. And Christine and I together have done well in excess of a thousand divorces. So we've seen just about everything. And 
understanding that every, almost every divorce, there comes a point where emotions run very high. And really, there's a lot of fire. You know, this might be at the courthouse with negotiating the last thing. This might be at mediation where someone storms out. Those things are going to happen. And I had a client once who got taken out on a stretcher. Ooh. I, I actually Ooh. wasn't his attorney at the time. I was like the second or third attorney. But I had to keep hearing every time we went to court. I'd hear from my adversary. Well, you know, he got taken out by, on a stretcher at the mediation <laughs> session. So, I mean, okay, so that's rare. That's Well, you know what? This might not be a bad time to tell the little story about how me and Christina met because I just think it's relevant to this point. So we actually met on a case. We were adversaries, you know, and then after after we get done with the case, you know, we fell in love. <laughs> we're not married, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I know everyone thinks we are. But um, but we, we fight like a married couple we sometimes. We do fight. Um, we settled everything in this divorce except for two little things. Mm. Who was... Where and the the question was, where's the fishing uh, pole and where's the crock pot? Yes, the crock pot was an ongoing debate throughout this entire case. It was really like it was the most important thing in the world, and you forgot about something. What the the racks in the oven? Oh, they right, had the gone missing. I mean, but these people got <laughs> down to this was the end the end of the case. They were paying us each our hourly fee to sit in the courthouse and fight about a $25 crock pot, yeah. a f- fishing pole, and some you know some metal racks in an oven that you probably could go buy new ones for 50 bucks. Well, you know that saying, sometimes it's not about the crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made up that saying it's, after this case. It's a case. saying in our lives now. But, but yes, but it's it's so I mean, these people had a custody case, a domestic violence a portion of their case. They had very difficult things to resolve. And it all came down to that. And that's just it goes to show you that a lot of times people put all this emotional uh, sort of weight on these items of personal property. Yeah, and it, it really I mean, I'm saying it in jest, but it wasn't about the crock pot. No. It wasn't. It was just a power struggle. And you know, why does he or she, why do they always get what they want? I've actually, I hear that all the time. Oh, why yeah. do, how come they have, I don't have to, I have to listen to orders and they don't. <laughs> I've heard that a million times. You know, sometimes I think it's, life is quite simple. We just revert back to whatever we learned in kindergarten. You know, <laughs> it's like, the rules apply to everyone, right? So if I don't, if you don't have to listen to them, then I don't have to do it. Why oh, do I have to? I do think it? you're absolutely right. There's always a perception um, that you know one side is winning and one side is losing. Yeah, I mean it's it's and quite frankly, it's in cases where a judge hasn't made any decision at all. Yeah, I think they just perception. sometimes I think they just go on the back and they're like, "I'll be right back. I have an important decision to make," and then they just go back there and I don't know, search Facebook or. <laughs> prop their feet up on the desk. I don't know what goes on. Well, so they, they come in, you sort of come up with a game plan um, of what you're going to do. Um, how do you de- how do you decide with your client sort of what path you're going to take? In a divorce, obviously, you can file a complaint immediately or you can try to resolve a case. How do you how do you come to that decision? I, I always encourage people to to try to do things amicably to try that path first partly because I think overall it's better, especially if there are children. I think trying to preserve the relationship to some degree go- so that you can co-parent going forward is always the best uh, result. 
Sometimes people can't do that. And sometimes it's, it's one person can't do it. So it, it, you know, it takes two, right? So if one person just isn't able to do that, it doesn't work. But I always encourage it. I encourage that we just try to resolve things amicably, maybe go to mediation right away. Um, or, but generally start out by sending a letter to the other side that I've been retained and we would like to try to work amicably towards a resolution and please have your attorney contact me. And give them a window of maybe 7 to 14 days. And if they do nothing, then you really have no choice but to file a formal complaint because it just forces them to do something. Because once you have something pending in the court system, they have to do something with that. They can't just ignore it. Well, they can, but there will be consequences for that. So that's really the plan B. But sometimes people, depending on the emotions involved, maybe they want a complaint filed immediately. They don't, Just because they get some sort of pleasure out of the other party being forced into this, um, or maybe because they want us to serve them with papers. And it's really interesting. A lot of people want to serve their spouse either on Valentine's Day or their birthday. Or anniversaries, too, that. Anniversary, too. Yeah, I guess so. I've seen that one much less, but over the course of my 15 years doing this, it's happened so many times that someone intentionally wanted to serve them on their birthday or on Valentine's Day, which I guess, you know, it's so romantic. It's kind of funny, but so romantic. I I always thought that being a server would be an interesting job, but I would never do it because I'd be so afraid of getting my butt kicked by somebody. (laughs) You know, because I could just imagine handing papers over to some big guy and him just being so mad that he just kicks the crap out of me. Well, you just have to get out of there before he reads it. Oh, that's true. Here's your papers. And then, you like, know, they don't know what it is at first when they get it. And But again, you know, if you're getting served with papers, it's really not a good way to start things out if you want it to be on an amicable path <laughs> because it's not pleasant I love to be papers. served with papers. I love this papers thing. I hear papers constantly when people talk about the divorce process. Like, oh, he'll sign the papers. Oh, oh, are they going? When are they going to get the papers? Let's do something with the yeah, papers. Yeah, which papers? Yeah, there's all these papers. It's they don't weird. know. They just know that there's some papers. I mean, to some degree. You don't really need to know specifically what the papers are. You don't, no. as an as a client, as the litigant, you don't really need to understand that on the same level that your attorney does. But you should generally be aware of what's going on in your case. Well, I think a lot of this stuff, a lot of these uh, sort of terms, all come from TV and from the internet. And somewhere down the road, we're going to do a show on what's the difference between. TV court and real court because most people get all their information from these fictional shows and so and that's provides a lot of the misunderstanding about the process and I think causes a lot of the arguments that attorneys have with their uh, clients about the real world well I think too um, talking people talking to their friends Oh, God, the friends, especially the ones that have been through a divorce. Well, like my some kind divorce of attorney charged $10,000 less, and I got $2,000 a month more yeah. in alimony. Well, my neighbor lives in the same house and makes the same amount of money and, and you know, has two kids, and why has she got more alimony than I did? And it's just like, okay, well, I don't know all of the specifics about their divorce and, you know, where she may have compromised or, you know, maybe the husband compromised more. There, 
You know, divorces are like snowflakes. <laughs> there, there's no two that are identical. There, <laughs> truly, there aren't. There really aren't. I mean, although we kind of have an idea of how most divorces are going to end up at the end of the day, they are still very unique. And there is no um, right and wrong way to settle a divorce. And that's one thing that at a consultation and early on in a case, I think clients always need to understand is, all right, here's what we're going to try to achieve. But there's probably about 20 different ways we can achieve these goals and still get you where you want to be. That might mean more alimony. It might mean less alimony. It might mean keeping a house and not paying someone for the house. It might mean getting more of a retirement account. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. And one thing I think is very important that you have an attorney that can think outside the box. And yeah, if you have an attorney, and I, I guess I don't know how you would know. Maybe we can provide some yeah. tips on that. But if you've got an attorney who just follows a script, like, okay, my client comes in the office, they sign a retainer, I file a complaint, I serve the other side, I do this, I do that. Like every single case, it's just cookie cutter. It's all the same. He, he or she treats every client exactly the same way. That's really, I think that's a disservice to the client. That's not going to get you the best results that you could get. It's also not going to try to maximize the time and the quality of the time that you actually spend in the case. So if your attorney's doing it that way, if just following the script, you could end up taking 12 months to get your divorce done where someone else may have been able to get it done in half the time if they were more diligent and in really tailoring that process to you and your needs. So are you saying that really an attorney should be results oriented? I think as they opposed should be. to process oriented. Absolutely. I think I mean I I think any client would say that it's results oriented. I mean I and I'd be curious to hear what other people think about that our listeners. Do you when if you were going to if you've been through a divorce or you're going through one now or even if you're just thinking about it and it's something that's on the horizon for you, what's what is the biggest concern for you when you are working with your lawyer? Do you just want to get it done fast? Are you more focused on, you know, get maximize the dollars and cents? Or is it both? I I do get some people where I have to tell them, you know, you want to buy a BMW, but you want to buy it at a Honda price. <laughs> I've said that a few times because it seems to be something people can, you like, know, when they hear that, they really get it. They want me to, you know, file motions and subpoenas and do all this stuff, but then they don't want to pay their bill. But you can't have it that way. If you want to do all that stuff, it, that's time consuming and when you know we know lawyers bill hourly so that's time is money it absolutely time is money and but i think it's i think the theme sort of what we've been talking about is you know setting expectations appropriately from the very beginning yeah and that will enable everyone to feel more comfortable so last call on drinks, Christina. I could use a refill. <laughs> the bar is closing. Oh. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we hope this conversation at least uh, sparks some uh, interest in the process at the beginning of a divorce. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please um, visit us on social media and comment away. And if you find yourself um, needing a little bit more specific advice about your own circumstances, call our office. We'd be happy to have a complimentary consultation with you if you mention this show so that you can learn a little bit about how the divorce process uh, would impact you. You can call us at 732-384-1550. 
And uh, like I said, just let us know that you heard us on the show, and we'll be happy to give you a complimentary consultation. I'd also like to hear if people have a specific topic that they'd like us to talk about, if they want us to talk about specific legal issues or more anecdotal stuff. Well, join us next week for another episode of The Force Happy Hour.